This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by 5 Days to Your Best Year Ever, an online course to help you set powerful goals and actually achieve them. Find out more at bestyearever.me. Winston Churchill was appointed First Lord of the Admiralty when he was just 36. That's like Secretary of the Navy. And during World War I, he oversaw the Gallipoli Campaign. That was one of the boldest strategies of the war. But it was a disaster. Churchill was forced to resign, and it looked like the end of his career. Failure is a huge obstacle. Most of us never get over it. But when he was essentially kicked out of the Navy, Churchill joined the Army. He volunteered to serve on the front lines, and he personally made 36 runs into no man's land. He developed a new set of skills, worked hard, and regained his reputation. When it looked like his career was over, he found a way to reinvent himself. It isn't just iconic leaders who do that. Lots of average people find a way to push through whatever stands between them and their dream. Like Claire Malone, she worked for the state of New York for her whole career and then retired. Retirement is often a huge crisis for a lot of people because they have to re-envision their lives. If they're not a teacher or a mailman or an executive, well, who are they? It can be a big problem. But Claire had no trouble seeing herself in a different role. She began training as a yoga instructor, and at age 70, she was the oldest person to finish her class. And now she teaches yoga five days a week in her dining room. And then there's Julia Hartz. She was a TV executive and worked on some really big shows, shows like The Shield and Rescue Me. It seems like a dream job, right? But she didn't really like it. Trapped in a boring career. That's where a lot of people get stuck. But Julia, she saw herself somewhere else. So while pregnant, she decided to leave her job and start a company with her husband. You might have heard of it. It's called Eventbrite. They help people sell tickets to their own events. After a lot of hard work, it took off. And they've sold millions of tickets for concerts, conferences, art shows, anything you can imagine. Julia said, What I learned in those first six months is that this was opening up a part of me that had always been there. It was part of the reason that I didn't love school, because I love to learn by doing. What all these people have in common was that they overcame an invisible barrier between them and their eventual success. So let me ask you a big question. What's the real barrier between you and your dream? Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're going to tackle something called the upper limit problem, which could be the one thing standing between you and your dreams. As leaders, we all have big goals, but most of us have at least one limiting belief that keeps us from achieving them. Here at Michael Hyatt and Company, we coach leaders every day who have some inner barrier to their success. Today, we'll identify the three most common limiting beliefs. We want to help you avoid being stuck for another year and get out of your own way. Meg, this topic gets me super excited because this is exactly where so many people get stuck. Yes. And it's often invisible, right? It is, totally. And it's we often talk about it under the umbrella of liberating truths and limiting beliefs. But today, we're talking about some of the most powerful ones and... Somebody else has framed this as the upper limit problem, Mm -hmm. specifically Gay Hendricks, who wrote a book called The Big Leap, 
And that book was a, a game changer for me. Did you read it? I did. I loved it. Yeah. And so this upper limit problem, let's describe what it is. Yeah. So first of all, it's feeling like you don't deserve success. Hendrix says, each of us has an inner thermostat setting that determines how much love, success, and creativity we will allow ourselves to enjoy. That's a really sobering thought because what it means is we're going to sabotage ourselves once we kind of hit that upper limit. Yeah. So the idea is, is as you approach that limit mm-hmm. and it's, again, invisible, mm-hmm. largely unconscious, we're unaware of it. But yep. as we approach that, then we start engaging in this self-sabotage behavior yep. that keeps us from passing that limit. And so like you said, there's that feeling that we don't deserve success. Mm-hmm. And you might be thinking in various contexts, you know, I don't deserve to be in this room. Yep. You know, who am I to think that I that I belong here? Or when people find out I'm an imposter, mm-hmm. I'm going to get fired. Or all these people that are better than me, I'm the least qualified person to be in this room. Yeah. But when you feel that, you're bumping up against your upper limit. It can also look like negative self-talk. Everyone has failure and setbacks. But when that happens, you might slip into this kind of negative self-talk where you say things like, I'm so stupid, or I knew it was a mistake to try this, or I'm such a loser. And when you say things like that, you're talking yourself out of trying again because you're bumping up against that upper limit. This is like the voice in your head kind of stuff that we don't like to talk about a lot, but it's really powerful. You know what I experience this a lot is on the golf course. Huh. This is why I'm not on the senior pro tour. You really say that to yourself? No, that's not that's not oh. what I say. <laughs> okay. What I say in the situation like is I might have a good game going, I might have a streak of pars going. Yeah. And then I flub some shot and then I say something to myself like, Well, of course this happened, or I knew that was gonna show up. Yeah. Then like sabotages the rest of my game. I find this happens anytime I'm learning something new. So, for example, I was fly fishing this summer out in Montana, and the first time I had ever fly fished while floating in a boat. So I have done it before wading, which is, you know, kind of one set of skills. And then you sort of have to top that with, and now you're moving (laughs) while doing it, you know? And it was, it was really like an internal battle of all these thoughts going through my head that, you know, by the time I was done in my head, it was like, I should have just stayed home that morning. You know where I see this showing up in you also, if I can just be so bold? Sure. Um, And I see this in your mother too, is when it comes to technology. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, it's it's like you, you self-sabotage, you bail out I know. Before you even give yourself half a chance to learn it. It's true. I'm I'm getting better at this. Yes. But um, but it is a challenge for me. It's true. All right. So let's talk about self-sabotage because that's another element of this whole yeah. thing. So again, Hendricks says, when we exceed our inner thermostat setting, we will often do something to sabotage ourselves, causing us to drop back into the old familiar zone where we feel secure. And the crazy thing about that feeling secure is oftentimes it's not performing. You know, we feel secure and not performing. Right. Instead of being out there on the edge where we go, whoa, this is new. I haven't really performed at this level before, so I need to get back to what's familiar. Mm -hmm. So what are some examples of self-sabotage? Like staying up late on the night before a big presentation or going on a binge when you're very close to your fitness Mm -hmm. goal or blowing off the final exam just before you graduate. I mean, these are all good examples. And when you do this, you're re-leveling yourself. Ooh, I love that idea. Yeah, again, this is this is kind of a sobering concept because this is kind of an insidious pattern that can develop where uh, if we're not self-aware, it will take us down. Yeah, and actually you're leveling down, not leveling up. Yes. You're trying to get back to that comfortable zone that's familiar. And by the way, comfortable doesn't mean that you enjoy it. It just means that it's predictable. It's like a it's like we're seeking certainty, I think is what's happening. 
So everybody has an upper limit problem or a self-defined maximum success. And I love the thermostat metaphor. That's perfect. Your thermostat may be pretty high, but you probably have a thermostat. Now, these are based entirely on limiting beliefs. And we've got three limiting beliefs to share with you today. So I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So take the first one. All right. So limiting belief number one is that I don't deserve success. This is really a personal objection to our own success. Obviously, we all think that we want to achieve or be successful. Emphasis on the word think. You know, sometimes in the back of our mind, we really don't. But we know the worst things about ourselves, like our failures, the bad things that we've done, our limitations. And we harbor this secret belief that we're not good enough. Like, I've been divorced, so I don't deserve a happy mm-hmm. marriage. Or I've failed in a big way, so I can't be trusted as a leader. Or I've been in jail or I lose my temper, or I drink too much. These lead to that imposter syndrome that most of us as leaders have felt, um, where we feel like we don't belong. And we're deathly afraid of other people finding us out. I mean, you talked about this like when you were at Thomas Nelson, when you were the CEO there in the early days. Well, and I think it goes back to the fact that I had this business failure in the early 90s. Yeah. That really knocked my legs out from under me in terms of confidence. Right. And I thought, you know, I can, I can aspire to a certain level of leadership, but I never want to be the top guy in charge because when I did that previously, mm-hmm. I failed at it. Yeah. So I need to be following somebody that really knows what's going on. Well, suddenly I found myself that top guy. There was nobody else to appeal to. Mm-hmm. And so I remember feeling, you know, deep inside that, oh my gosh, I'm just faking it. Eventually they're going to find out. Yeah. I'm going to be removed from this position and it's not going to work. So yeah, it's kind of the imposter syndrome. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, totally. I mean, I feel like every year- Not kidding, last week. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I feel like I experience it every year because our business is growing so fast that yeah. every year what's required of me is something I haven't done before. Right. You know, And this is something that we see also in the business owners and leaders that we coach. This is in common. Like if you were to stand in front of a room of you know two or 300 people full of leaders and you ask them this question, they would all raise their hands. You know, because this is totally common for people who are on it the is. edge of their abilities all the time. You know, it's it's like showing up on a different playing field or a different right. level of sports every year. Right. So, you know, last year you were playing, you know, high school varsity. This year it's college. Next year it's the pros. Right. Whatever's beyond that. But it's a completely different level of play each year. Yeah. And so it's constantly unfamiliar and it constantly makes you feel like you're an imposter. And you have to kind of learn to tolerate the uncomfortable feelings because at the same time, these, the self-talk that's negative is going in your head, you know, like I'm stupid or who do I think I am to aspire to this? Or why would anybody want me for this role? And it's a powerful limiting belief because in a small part, it's based on the truth. We all have faults or failures and sins. I mean, right. Like we, no one's more aware of of that than we are. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of in the back of our minds. We see all the ways we could fail and why we don't deserve it. Um, And that shame that we have keeps us from flying too high. Okay, I want to just challenge this limiting belief with um, in, in a different way than maybe people would think. Because the limiting belief is I don't deserve success. And you might think the liberating truth is I do deserve success. Right. I would never say that, would you? No. Why? Um, because I think it's earned, first of all. I think that it's not, I don't deserve anything. Like I'm not entitled or owed anything. I think that's a really dangerous place to find yourself in. And as a leader, um, man, that's that's a setup for a real narcissistic, toxic kind of way of being. So I think it's earned. And I think success is the result of all kinds of factors. So I definitely think there's an aspect of success that's earned. 
But I also have to acknowledge, and I think you'll agree with this, mm-hmm. there's also a sense in which it's a gift. Totally. You know, the, the I just didn't earn this all by myself. Even if right. I did all the right things, it right. takes, you know, more than just me to create success. Yeah. You know, the fact that I was born into this culture mm-hmm. in North America, that I have- At this time? The parents I have, that right. I had access to certain things that I had access to, you know, that I have the friends that I have, mm-hmm. that I had the opportunities to, to work where I worked. All of that created kind of a web of success. And I think there's two things that we have to keep in mind when it comes to this. First of all, there's our own sense of agency, and that's where the earned part of it comes Mm -hmm. in. But then there's also this sense of just being blessed or being gifted that even when we've worked hard, we just can't pat ourselves on the back and say, you know what, it was, I pulled myself up on my own bootstraps. Right. It's kind of anti individualism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's both and. So to get over this limiting belief, we got to realize that your past, that our past does not determine our future. Sure, everybody is flawed, but we have to be willing to enjoy the gifts and the grace from others. And we also have to be willing to accept and enjoy our achievements. That's kind of like what you're saying. That's kind of like the the two halves of the whole there. Well, I think it's like, and this goes back to the blessing idea or the idea of it being a gift. I think it's like every good thing that we receive from God or, mm-hmm. you know, however you believe about that. But for me, um, it's not that I deserve it. It's not even that I earned it, but I'm going to receive it as a blessing and be thankful. Right. And so that keeps me from self-sabotaging. You know, what's interesting is that I don't deserve success is it's kind of like its own narcissism. <laughs> yeah. It's as though like what I, what I think about my success is ultimately determinative and, you know, it's all about me anyway, instead of realizing it's, it doesn't acknowledge the, the gifts that we are given that we don't earn, you know, certainly we, we have a part in that, but it's very self-focused. Well, think about this. When somebody pays somebody else a compliment, you know, there's a couple of different ways to respond to that. One is to deflect. Right. You know, which is kind of self-centered in a way, like, oh, well, you know, it was nothing, whatever. The other way is just to kind of pat yourself on the back. And I find, and this is kind of apropos to what we're talking about here, I find just a simple acknowledgement, like, just thank you. Yeah. You know, that's how I want to stand with success. You know, I want to be grateful. Like, just gratitude. Just gratitude. Hey, everyone. Mike Boyer here once again. Did you know that Michael Hyatt Magazine is a free electronic resource that digs deeper into the theme of each podcast? This week's issue contains a great article by Aaron Wildermuth on the science behind record-breaking performances. You can check it out at lead2.win. While you're there, check out the show notes for this episode. They include a complete transcript of today's show, plus links to two fascinating books mentioned today, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks and Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Before I go, let me ask one small favor. If you haven't yet subscribed to Lead to Win, would you do that right now? You can do it easily on iTunes or wherever you listen. If you need help, just visit lead2.win slash subscribe. Now, back to the show. So limiting belief number one is that I don't deserve success. So what's number two? Number two is my ambition is a betrayal of my roots. So if limiting Mm. belief number one was kind of a personal kind of limiting belief, this is more of a tribal one, I would call it. So the idea is that if I change... I'm going to leave my family or my friends or my tribe or my roots behind. Yeah. And it feels like somehow a betrayal of my core identity. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't want to lift myself above my friends and family, yeah. you know, because that would be audacious or it'd be prideful in some way. Mm-hmm. And it, more than that, it feels like it's abandoning the people who won't grow or succeed with me. Yeah. And we see this a ton. We see it so with much. With successful business leaders. Because all of a sudden... 
their peer group, they begin to separate from that peer group by mm-hmm. virtue of their success, right. at least in their mind, and it becomes very difficult for them to relate to those people. Mm-hmm. And they self-sabotage yep. so that they don't leave their friends behind. And there's another alternative to that, but that happens a lot. Well, and people think things like, no one else in my family makes this much money, or we're simple, humble people, we don't believe in wealth. Oh, that's really limiting. Yeah. Um, or my friends won't hang around if I take this promotion, you know, and those are powerful, I think, in part because this is like a primitive survival strategy. You know, the idea that you're going to separate yourself from the herd, you know, or from where there's your, safety, where there's safety, like safety in numbers is kind of like our most primitive brain. You know, this actually is, I mean, I think this is documented in the research with your brain, that your brain is trying to keep you safe and separating from the the group is a scary thing to do. And so there's a very uh, strong pull to keep you connected with that original group or your family of origin or your small town, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um, and this is one of the hardest ones to break through. It's why having a peer group of people who um, are ahead of you or at your level is so critical if that's not your natural circle of people at home. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because early in my career, I remember calling my dad at certain points when I would get a promotion and I was so excited, but then I, I felt awkward about it uh-huh. at some point because I realized that even in my late 20s, I was making more money than my dad had probably ever made in his right. life. And then it just became this thing. I didn't, I didn't want him to feel badly, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't want to feel badly about it. And so I stopped sharing that yep. with him and it didn't exactly self-sabotage, but it was very difficult for me to pull away from the gravitational pull of yeah. that, realizing that I was succeeding at a level. And now, of course, you've gone to, on to you know eclipse my career. Well, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's awkward for you to talk to me about that, but I'm just giving you permission yeah, thank that you. you can do that. Thank you. Okay. You know, this is interesting because on the one hand, this is a whole conversation going on in our head and it's about our fear. But this actually has external... Um, uh, this also has an external presentation as well. I mean, oftentimes people in your group, you know, your family or your community will actually try to shame you back into the fold with these limiting beliefs. And it becomes like a really weird sort of codependency, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really important to to pay attention to this. You may have to create some boundaries in your life that you have not up until this point. Um, if you are unwilling to, you know, to accept yeah. this kind of upper limit, because there really are people that will not. This is not only an issue of self-sabotage. Other people can try to sabotage you as well. And a lot of our clients have experienced that. Okay. I've got a real life example that happened just last night. Good. So a family member asked me if I could set aside a date here a couple months from now for a very important event in their life. It was a very specific event and it was a great event that I want to be at. But I happened to have a speaking engagement on that date Hmm. and I found myself feeling guilty for having this event. You know, for having right. a plan for my life and for planning that far in advance. And so I was thinking like, oh, how can I get out of the speaking engagement? And, you know, they weren't bad for asking me to do that event. Right. But I just couldn't do it. But I, I just I just felt badly because I had this event planned. Right. Because you are successful enough that your calendar is full and you have to plan right. things way in advance. That's kind of just the nature of your life as as a leader in this stage of your career. And that, that it'd be better if you were more available. I asked him if he could move the event. And then I immediately apologized because like, you know, who am I to ask them to move an event for me? It just made me feel, you know, ostentatious. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. So to overcome this limit, we have to realize that everybody is responsible for their own choices. I mean, this kind of goes back to good boundaries. And this is so easy to forget. I feel like this is one of those things 
that we have to keep reminding ourselves about because mm-hmm. you know we can we can slide back into old patterns pretty quickly. You're accountable for the life that you live, not the life others choose. Mm-hmm. So we all have agency to choose the kind of life that we want. And just because your family chose one thing doesn't mean that's what you have to pick. Yeah, exactly. I, I can think of so many examples too. I can think of an example with mom not wanting to have our housekeeper present when she had the ladies from church over. Yeah. You know, because then she had to explain, you know, why she could afford a housekeeper. She felt like she had the need to do that. Right. And she really didn't. And it kind of goes back, I think we quoted this on a previous episode where we talked about Marianne Williamson. Yes. And about that amazing quote of, it doesn't really do anybody any favors when you hide your own light. She says it very poetically and very beautifully. Yeah. But, you know, we don't help others by making ourselves less than. Yes. You know, we just need to own who we are. Yeah. And not feel like we've got to apologize it mm-hmm. or even explain it. To that example that you just gave, I can think of a time when our good friend Stu McLaren mm-hmm. was sitting in your kitchen and was talking about the home manager that he and his wife Amy had employed and how that had changed their life. You know, because they weren't very good at cooking. They were struggling with the laundry and all kinds of stuff. He's talked about this very publicly. And they hired uh, their home manager, Leanne, at that time. And it totally changed their life. And I'm like, what is this? I've never even thought about this. Is role. that a thing? Like it, it just like blew my mind. And, and so that's a good example of instead of that, for it could have been easy for him to play small and to just not mention that because he knew that we didn't have um, anybody like that in our life. He was just like willing to talk about it like it was the greatest thing that ever happened. And it totally opened our eyes to a possibility that we did not even know existed. And as a result, we have benefited from, you know, kind of a similar setup down the road. And anyway, I think that's a the positive side of how not playing small can benefit those in your lives. Yeah. Stu is a good example of not playing small. He wasn't bragging about it. He right. wasn't apologizing for right. it. He was just sharing it. It was just like, this is really cool. I have clean t-shirts. <laughs> and, it, and it enriched our lives. Yeah. And we've shared that concept with our clients and it, yes. you know, their heads have exploded. So limiting belief number one is a personal objection. I don't deserve success. Limiting belief number two is a tribal objection. My ambition is a betrayal of my roots. What is limiting belief number three? So limiting belief number three is relational, and that is my success highlights the failure of others. So the idea here is that your success makes life harder for your family and friends. Like if I achieve too much, I'll outshine my siblings. Okay, I want to stop you right there. You have four younger sisters. Has that thought ever crossed your mind or have you ever struggled with that? Totally. Well, also I'm the oldest, right? Right. So there's almost 11 years between me and my youngest sister, Marissa, which means that we're at totally different life stages. You know, I'm married with four kids. She's single, for example, you know, that we're not on the same track, you know, where I Mm -hmm. was uh, 10 and a half years ago is not where she is today, for example. And so I think that can put pressure on her potentially, you know, where she feels like she has to keep up or where I feel like I'm too far ahead. You know, I'm just using that as an easy example because there's an age difference there, but, but certainly that can come into my mind. And that's probably been in the mind of my other sisters because they're all very successful in their own ways. And those things don't always track equally for us. Like our careers haven't all been on the same trajectory. So have you, found yourself bumping up against that upper limit, yeah. you know, like when you get successful and that thought occurs to you, you think, oh, I need, maybe need to just pump the brakes here a little bit. Yeah. Like I probably shouldn't talk about that success that I had, or I should probably pick a cheaper restaurant, you know, if we're all going to go out or if we're going to have a girl's weekend, you know, to pick something less expensive, modest, more, modest. more modest, that kind of thing. So another one is, you know, my parents weren't successful. I don't want them to feel badly. And I talked about that in the 
you know, the previous point, which right. is also related to this one. Or if I take this promotion, I'll earn more than my spouse. Yeah, this is a big one for women. You yes. Know, because I think there's just this old idea that men provide for the family and that women need to be careful that they don't outshine their husbands. I mean, even in women who would consider themselves feminists or, you know, new wave feminists or whatever the language is that, you know, is kind of like the current language around that, that um, that there's just a cultural idea that women are not supposed to surpass men, even in marriage. And the truth is a lot of times that happens. Um, and it can be, you know, a huge opportunity to go to a deeper level in your relationship. I know I struggled with that personally. Um, it was interesting. Joel and I had lots of conversations about this, um, years ago where I was really uncomfortable with that myself. He was totally comfortable with it. <laughs> he had no issues or hangups, but I really had to work through it because that hadn't always been true in our marriage, you know, when our kids were younger and I briefly stayed home and things like that. And so I think if we're not careful, you know, we can really sabotage ourselves and get in our own way on this one. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago, Gail and I spoke to a large network marketing organization Yes, that was primarily uh, female entrepreneurs. Yep. And the host of this event told us, they said, we want you guys to speak to this because these marriages often fail. We right. have a higher than normal percentage of failures at our marriages yep. because the women outstrip the earning power of their husbands. Yep. The husbands can't deal with it. And so it blows up the marriage. And I just wonder if it was was this whole upper limit problem. Yes. You know, and so I I think one of two things happens. Either the woman in that situation throttles back her earning power right. so that she doesn't outshine her husband. Yep. Or she goes ahead without being self-aware and they don't have a conversation. Right. And then sort of forces beyond their awareness take over and self-sabotage. Yeah. So you've got to have a conversation about this. You've got to to surface this limiting belief and mm -hmm. deal with it in a more powerful way. Yep. You have to figure out how to relate to one another as partners, not in roles, yes. you know, that are that are traditional and kind of very narrow in that way. You are not your job. Right. But another way to state this is instead of the limiting belief, my success highlights the failure of others, is my success could empower the success of others. Yes. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we're successful, but one of it, I think of it, is not for myself, but I'm successful for the benefit of other people as well. So when we believe this particular limiting belief, it shows up in some interesting ways, like we don't want to set big goals, or we shy away from risk. Or we avoid doing anything that would distinguish us yep. or get us any kind of notoriety. Or we take ourselves out of the running for a new job or promotion. Mm -hmm. Or we don't apply to graduate school. We don't submit the manuscript. You know, we just get stuck right before we cross the finish line because we suddenly become aware of what crossing the finish line might mean in terms of, of other people. So to overcome this belief, we have to realize that there are many paths to success. Other people can be successful in different ways. I mean, financially successful is only one way. For example, a stay-at-home mom and a female CEO can both succeed. Finances are just one measure of achievement. And everybody paddles their own canoe. You know, they're responsible for their choices. We don't have to allow the inaction of others to prevent us from taking action. Well said. 
So today we've learned that the main thing standing between you and your greatest goal may be you. The key is to overcome the limiting beliefs that you don't deserve to succeed or that your ambition is a betrayal of your roots or a hardship to others. As we come to a close, I just want to remind you that you can achieve more than you think. So don't be afraid to reimagine your life and take the big leap to get there. Dad, any final thoughts? You know, this so often comes back to self-awareness. Yeah. To become aware that this limiting belief is a conversation in your head. Yeah. It's not out there. Mm -hmm. And as you are often want to say, uh, nobody thinks about you more than you think about you. (laughs) You know, probably your family's not thinking about this. Right. Probably your friends aren't thinking about it. It's something that you're thinking that other people think about you, and it's often not true. So become aware of this limiting belief, this upper limit, and just decide, you know what, I'm going to confront it, and I'm going to push past it. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes, including a full transcript online at lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. Also, please tell your friends and colleagues about it and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. We invite you to join us next week when we'll tell you about what's wrong with New Year's resolutions and how to fix them. Until then, Lead to Win. And during World War I, he oversaw the Gallipoli campaign. He oversaw the Gallipoli campaign. That was one of the boldest and most difficult pronounced strategies of the war. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's try it again.